and say, I am glad to see you tonight. We're going to learn something tonight. Oh, man, y'all mighty quiet, Lord. Look at someone and say, I'm going to learn something tonight. In Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. We talked about this last Wednesday night a little bit. And I want to go on just a little bit with you. Because here's why. Number one, the unseen realm is one of the least understood and the least taught doctrines of Scripture. Uh, the truth of the matter is, is the only way that you're truly going to get somewhat of an understanding of it is to stop reading and studying your Bible through a Christian filter. The Christian filter takes away through in a Western mindset. So we've got to start seeing the Scriptures in original way that the writers originally saw it and how the readers of that time actually saw it. I want you to know that as you do, as you begin to see this, your faith and the capacity that you have to believe and operate in the supernatural will escalate. The more you see this, the more you understand, the more faith you're going to have. Can somebody say amen? That means the more faith you have, the more action you have. Amen? And when you begin to realize exactly how much power you actually have, that's when you'll start doing something about it. Amen? So smile at that right beside and say, I'm ready to see you go to work. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the entities and the elements and the substances that are in the military, I'm sorry, I'm in the military force of God is what I was going to say, but in the supernatural realm, these entities are engaged. They are either engaged or engaging or getting ready to engage in their operation. They're not just standing and sitting idly by. They are actually put there to minister unto you in several different ways and to bring forth and send in progress God's will not only for the earth and for you, but God's will up in heaven. Jesus said when we pray, he said you pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. In earth as it is in heaven. Everyone say that with me. In earth as it is in heaven. That's very important for you to understand because everything that God is doing in the scriptures is so that what is going on on the earth will be exactly what's happening up in the heavenlies. Amen. So these entities, and I'm talking good and bad, these entities have an effect on your life. And the problem that we have in the church is we all love to go to the extreme side in the black side. We all want to get engrossed with how much power the devil has and how much power a demon has and all this stuff. But we often miss the fact of how much power that the entities that God has, has in their life. Amen? God says that greater is he that is in me than he that's out there in the world. And we want you to understand how much power the entities in the spiritual world has. Now that said tonight, I got to give you a revelation, smile at that and right beside of you, look at it real good and say, I live in the supernatural realm. Now you are present here in the physical realm, but you also live, move, and have your being in God. And God is in the supernatural realm. So you are a spirit being that lives, moves, and has your being in heavens. In the supernatural realm. You are a spiritual being. You are supernatural. Look at your neighbor and say, I am supernatural. And see, we miss that so much in the church today. We don't realize how supernatural we actually are. If you are supernatural, that's mean you have, uh, you're like a superhero in the natural. 
the natural don't bother you. You have things in the natural that happens in your life that does not shake you. You are a supernatural individual. And if the church can literally understand that, we can literally have a victory immediately in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, write this down in your notes. The Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. It's a big difference. It was written for us to read and to study and to see in the foreshadowing of how God dealt with people many years ago and to see God's plan and action and moving. And it was written for us to be a help with us. The Bible said he sent his word to heal us. The Bible said that he sent his word to deliver us. The Bible says that the word of God is uh, the ever, a word that he speaks is life to us. So it was written for us, but it was not written to us. And because it was not written to us, we don't understand what God is trying to say to the people that he was actually wrote it to. The mindset is many thousands of years ago. And what we uh, know today in certain words and what they mean today did not mean that back then. The way world, the world was back then is completely different than the way the world is right now. If we were in this house tonight and we had a thousand Israelites that were alive in the first century B.C. and we had a thousand Israelites that was alive when Moses was called and then we had a thousand people from today, when they taught, we wouldn't really understand where they were coming from. And when the people in our class would talk, they wouldn't understand where we're coming from because we use certain words, we use certain tenses, we use certain things to explain certain things that other people will not understand. It's the same way in humans, in humanity today. There are certain classes of people that have their own language. It's the same English language, but they use certain words. And when they use that word in a certain class, or, or you want to call it race, whatever, they understand a certain meaning with that. But if a white person goes into an African-American place and uses those same words, it's offensive. And we need to understand that. Are y'all with me tonight? Amen. So the Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. But the Bible is supernatural. Say that with me. The Bible is supernatural. I want you to reach over and grab it in your hand. You have something in your hand right now that is supernatural. It will go to work in the spiritual realm. It will go to work in the natural realm. It is supernatural. You need to give God some praise because it is supernatural. But not only is it supernatural, it's a supernatural epic. An epic is a long story that is derived from ancient oral speech or it's derived uh, from narratives where the people that are in it are acting out a, 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 a plan or acting out a story and these legendary figures are giving you a history. And it's a history of a kingdom. So the Bible is supernatural and it is the history of a kingdom. It is not the story of the nation of Israel. Although the nation of Israel is in there. The story is about the history and the plan and the purpose of the kingdom of God. Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. It's all about his kingdom. Say that with me so you'll get that point. It's all about his kingdom. And any time we step out trying to explain something that does not line up with the kingdom... We mess up and we mess up terribly, amen? So it's not about Israel. It's about God's kingdom. It's about how he's going to be operating in heaven and in earth on the planet earth so that he can do what needs to be done here on this earth 
to make earth like heaven. And that's what God is trying to do. And the people that wrote it, the people that read it, the people that were out there acting it out or articulating it at that point in time, they had a worldview that was completely different than ours. Over the years, the supernatural worldview or the supernatural tendency that people have here in the modern day, people discount the supernatural. If you were to tell someone, I just saw an angel and you done that, then they would actually think you've gone crazy. How many had people look at you right crazy when you had an experience with the Lord and you tried to explain it to them and they look at you like, you just flat out crazy, amen? And when you begin to study the Bible, great Bible study will always take your worldview and connect it to that worldview way back then. Because the only way that you can really understand a person's communication is to get in their head. Although Eva talks to me, unless I can get in her head, I don't understand why, what she's saying, what she's saying for. I don't understand that. So what we need to do is we need to learn how to get into the heads of the writer of this scripture. Yes, it's spiritual. The Holy Spirit will help you with that there. But we need to know how they think and how they process life. Not in this world, but in their world. If we don't, we run into situations that you run into in your life. Women are not supposed to wear makeup. You've heard that before, amen? Mm-hmm. The Bible don't say that. Mm-hmm. Women are not supposed to wear pants. You've heard that before, haven't you? Oh, yeah. The Bible don't say that. The Bible says a woman is not supposed to wear anything pertaining to a man. Well, back then they wore robes. The only difference was is that at women's uh, robe was either white or pink or purple. And mine was black or white or blue. And if I went out wearing a purple robe, everybody would say I was effeminate and I was transgender. So that's what's going on today. And if we use today's mindset, trying to explain the scripture, then we're going to get lost. So how many of you really want to understand and rightly divide the word of truth? Would you say amen? So a lot of what Christians now have been taught about the supernatural world is either incomplete or it's flat out inaccurate. And what I want to do here tonight, and I want you to begin to understand that the supernatural world is just as fluid and just as liquid and just as real as the world that you're living in right now. Now, Christians believe about angels, don't they? Everybody here tonight believes in angels, don't you? Amen. How many here really believe in angels and you believe in demons? Would you say amen? amen. But everything we know about angels and everything we know about uh, uh, demons... We get the teaching primarily from Hollywood. We got demons, the devil running around with horns out of his head and the red face and the cape, and he's running around with a tail sticking out of him with a pitchfork. We got demons that, that literally are, are frightful individuals that we see. When we think of angels, the first thing I've asked people many times to describe an angel to me, and they'll tell me where they got wings. Not every angel has wings. So what we understand about it sometimes are not accurate. It's not 100%. And sadly, or even worse, it's not that we don't believe in the supernatural. Christians have selective supernatural belief. Let me explain what I'm talking about. We can believe in a creator. Would you say amen? We can believe in a trinity. Could you say amen? We believe in the incarnation that Jesus was born to a virgin, came down through the birth canal, and he wound up being the son 
of the living God. Would you say amen? We believe in angels, don't we? Amen. How many of you believe in Satan? Would you say amen? How many believe in demons? But when we get on further, a little deeper, people don't understand what you're talking about because they don't believe it. They don't think it's there. When you began to go to them and you start talking about the sons of God and the family up in heaven that God has, they don't understand that. When you go to talk to them about the watcher angels and what they were and what they did, they ain't never heard about that. When you go to talk to them about the Rephahim, they don't know who that is. When you get to talk to them about the Nephilim, they don't know who that is. When you began to talk to them about Leviathan, you don't know who that is. When you began to talk about the spirit of divination, they don't really know what that is. And when you began to talk with them about Behemoth, you don't know who that is. When you began to talk about familiar spirits, jealousy spirits, or spirits of jealousy, or a demon called Mammon, we don't really understand who that is. And when we go talking about Asmodeus, they don't nobody know who that is. They're demons. There's one by the name of Belfior that the Bible, and it's all in the Bible in the original scriptures. Beelzebub, y'all heard of him before, haven't you? Amen. Uh, he's not the devil, though. A lot of people think he is, but he's not the devil. Beelzebub is not the devil. So we need to understand who they are. What about Satanas? Anybody ever heard of that? Satanas. Not Satan, Satanas. That is an actual demon that we're going to look into. Azazel, anybody ever heard of him before? You see, when we get into that, people never went that deep before. What about Python? Anybody ever heard about Python? What about Belial? Anybody ever heard of him? What about Meridian and what Meridian does? Oh, Lord, I got, I'm lost. I've lost, got everybody lost now. Smile at me if you're lost. Amen. Everybody's lost. Amen. What about Astaroth? What about Berith? And see, when you begin to go into that deep, the church is happy to deal with angels and demons and God and the incarnation and the creation, but don't go no deeper than that because we can't really explain it. And what God is trying to do in this last day is to get us to understand the supernatural because the Bible is supernatural because there is a supernatural mission and a supernatural work that Betty Ratley still got to do on this earth before she goes home. This church, every church, has got to do a supernatural work. And if we don't understand the position that we have with God, we'll never get that accomplished. So how many of you want to fulfill the mission God's given to you or give to you tonight? Amen. Amen. So the goal of our study is to get in the biblical writer's mind, understand what's going on, and not discount what they knew and what they believed. We cannot dismiss their mindset. We cannot dismiss what they believed in and what they thought and how they processed life. And I am not one to dismiss anything about what they um, knew or what they believed. Because when you start dismissing what they knew or what they believed, that's when you miss some things. So in Psalm 82, I want you to look at this. I'm going to read the whole chapter, and then we're going to have a talk here tonight. I'm going to explain to you how we've led up to this point. We talked about this last week, and we broke open these things to you so that you can see what's happening. Verse number one says, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty, and he judgeth among the gods. And here's what God says. He says, how long will you judge unjustly and accept the persons of wicked? Salah. That means he waited for a response. 
Then he tells them, he says, defend the poor and the fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and the needy, deliver the poor and the needy, and rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, this is God talking, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. <laughs> but ye shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. In the last verse, says, Arise, O, ju o God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Now go back to verse number one. Verse number one says, God, and, and the word start out with is Elohim. It is in a capital E. I explained that last week. That is always, when it's in a capital E, talking about Yahweh or Jehovah is what we call them. But Yahweh is the covenant God of Israel. And if you go down in there and you look at the original language, you get a little bit deeper in that and you come to the word mighty. And that word mighty mentions El, E-L, which is a different entity than Yahweh. And then it goes further in there and it has the word God's and that is the word Elohim, same word as God, but it's a little teeny. So there in the first verse, you see Yahweh God and an entity called El and a bunch of little gods. And God says they are gods. I just read that scripture to you. He said, I said to you, you are gods. And he gives us the answer of who they are. He says, you are the children of the Most High. You are the children of God. Did you see that in verse number six? I believe it is. He said, I've said to ye that you are gods and all of you are children of the Most High. So we already get the answer. So on your triangle, you have Yahweh up there where it says Most High. I want you to go on the other side of your triangle and write the word Yahweh. And then where I told you to write second tier, I want you to write this God, this deity called El, E-L. And then on the third stage, I want you to write the sons of God. Now I want you to notice, all three of them are Elohims. All three of them are Elohims. Two of them are capitalized. Elohim, number one, is Yahweh, the covenant God. The second one is El. Back in the Old Testament, they did not know that Jesus was El. They looked at him as Yahweh appearing in a, a bodily form, and he did so all the way through the Scripture. He showed up, and he was talked to Moses. He showed up, and he talked to Abraham. He showed up, he talked to Joshua. He showed up, he talked to the prophets. Every time that the prophets said that the word of the Lord came to them, he appeared to them. You need to understand that. It wasn't just that they heard the voice. They saw him. They had an encounter with him. A true prophet, you might want to write this down, a true prophet has an encounter with God, a revelation with God. God himself in some way shows up to him. And if he can't have that and explain when that happened to him, you might need to be careful about what that prophet says. So I want you to understand, you have Elohim, which is Yahweh, the covenant God. You have El, which we will find out later on, is winds up being Jesus. He is actually the angel of Yahweh. He is the angel of God himself. And then you have this class of people or this class of entities 
called the sons of God. Now notice about the sons of God. Look at the verse number 7 there. I'm sorry, verse number 8 there. God says after he has talked to these and interrogated these sons of God, God says that he's going to rise up and go judge the earth because all the nations are his inheritance. So we get from that in the original language that these sons of God were placed over nations. We're going to explain that a little deeper. I want you to look at some things here with it too as well. I want you to look at verse number 7. Their judgment is they are going to die like men and they're going to fall like one of the princes. But notice there in verse number 6, God says, I said, you are Elohims, you are gods. I said you are gods, and I also said that you were the children of the Most High. That word in Most High in the original language El is El Elyon, E-L-E-L-Y-O-N. And that is always talking about Yahweh God, Yahweh God, God the Father. Now notice here, he asked him in verse number two, he said, how much longer are you going to judge unjustly? How much longer are you going to accept the people of the wicked and do nothing about it? How much longer are you going to not deliver the poor? How much longer are you not going to help the needy? How much longer are you going to let people fall to the wicked? This is your responsibility. You rule over these people. These people don't know what they need to do, and I have you in that position. They'll keep right on walking in the darkness, and I put you here for you to be a revelation and a light to them, but you have failed me, and because you failed me, you're going to die like a man, and I'm going to judge the nations because all the nations are mine. Everyone say, all the nations are God's. But something happened. Something stood up real good to me, and you need to see it. So we have Yahweh God, we have El, which turns out to be the Son of God. And then we have this class of people called the sons of God. Turn with me to Job chapter 38 real quick. Let me explain something to you. Let's find out who they are. We, uh, if anybody has any question, you are free to stop me and ask me here tonight. I want you to get this. Job chapter 38, verse number 4 through 7. I want you to listen to what God talked to Job about. And he asked Job some questions. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare to me if you have understanding. Who has laid the measures thereof, if you know us? Or who has stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So now we're finding out these sons of God are divine beings and they were in existence at creation, when God laid out the foundations of the earth, they were there, and when they saw God create the earth, they were in a praise service, praising the Lord for what he was seeking to do here on this earth. But something has happened since Job 38. Job is the oldest book in the Bible. You need to understand that it's older than Genesis. It was written long before Genesis was ever written. And, and, and something happened. These sons of God... They were shown to us as a divine entity that was already in existence when the earth was made. And when God made the earth, they were all shouting with joy. But now we go into Psalms chapter 82 and we find out that now they're not seeing the praises and the joy of the Lord. They are literally failed in their job and God now has judged them. What happened? What happened? Important. We ought to know that. 
In Genesis chapter number one, God had an ideal. And that ideal was that he was going to have heaven here on this earth. Everybody say, as it is in heaven, so shall it be in earth. Heavenly Father, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So God wanted heaven here on this earth. You might want to write this in your notes. In the end of God's plan, God is going to move his throne from the planet or the or wherever it's at, milk of the galaxy of heaven, and bring it here on the earth, and he will set his throne here on this earth. So God came to this earth to create his throne. And he wanted it to be just like the heavens that he lived in. So when he came, he created Eden, a garden, a garden. The word Eden means a paradise that is sense, full of flowers, full of milk, full of fruit, all of this stuff. It was a place that literally was uh, 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 given the resources to where whatever or whoever lived in it could live forever. If Adam and Eve would have been able to eat the fruit of the tree of, uh, tree of life, they would have lived forever. All they would have had to done was eat the fruit one time and they would have lived forever. The Bible says and tells us that when the earth was originally created, it was created as dry land. There was no seas with it. And in the book of Revelation, when you go all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, when the new heaven and the new earth comes down to the earth, the Bible says there will be no more sea. So God will finally accomplish that that he originally created. Now let me explain to you what's happening. And y'all heard it before. And I, then we're going to go a little bit deeper. One of these entities that we call the sons of God was the fellow by the name of Lucifer. And Lucifer was one that was given the authority from God. And he was the one uh, cherubim that literally was over all the other sons of God. His job was to sound off like an alarm clock. He was created with musical instruments on the inside of him. That's why the devil uses music to get us these days. And he would sound off when the morning star come up. And when the morning star, when he comes up in the morning, he would sound off and all of the sons of God would leave their post and they would go to heaven and they would report to God what Sheila's done today or what Chris, uh, Katrina's done today or what Betty's done today. And in that meeting while they were there, they would tell the Lord what's going on here on this earth. The sad thing about it is, is many people don't realize this and understand it, but from Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 to Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, there is billions of years between the two verses. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter that people are willingly ignorant of the fact that the earth existed out of the water, then it wound up in the water, then it came out of the water again and it went underwater again. So there were two floods here on this earth. And Jeremiah chapter number 4 tells us that when there was a flood, he saw the earth and there wasn't a man on the place. There wasn't a man, there wasn't any animals, there wasn't anything. So they asked you a question. In Noah's flood, were there still men on the earth? Talk to me, yes or no? Yeah, there was eight of them. They were on the ark, wasn't there? And Noah's flood, was there animals still on the earth? 
Yeah, it was two in the ark. So these are two different floods that he's talking about. You can study that if you want to. Jeremiah chapter number four. What happened is, is that Lucifer found out because in the book of Psalms it tells us that there was a council of God and God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and, and his council got together and the blueprint of heaven was made and the end result was put out that Jesus would be the one, or El as we have in the Old Testament, would be the one that God gives the inheritance of the earth to. And Lucifer did not like that. He didn't like it at all because he was the one that had been given the authority over the earth. And there was a race of people or a crowd of people, a social system that was on this earth at that point in time. That's the reason why science backs up against the Bible. They try to tell you, you're only given me 6,000 years of history. How can I believe that God created this earth 6,000 years ago? Well, we never believe that, and the Bible don't teach that. The Bible says in verse number 1 in the original language, for many eons and ages and periods of time, the gods brought out of nothing the heavens and the dry land. So the gods took a long period of time creating the earth. And then it says in verse number two, and the earth became, or the earth was, or the earth became null and void, and darkness began to be on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Something happened from the original creation that God created, and the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy, when God created the earth, and anything he creates, he creates it perfectly. So God didn't create the earth in chaos. Would somebody say amen? In another passage in Deuteronomy and in Psalms, it says that God created the earth to be inhabited. And he created a race of people that were here on this earth or a group of people that was here on this earth, whatever you want to call them. That's where you get all of these cavemen from. That's where you get all these monolith men, these trio men, all this stuff. So science and the Bible comes right together. So there was a rebellion when Lucifer decided that he would, in Isaiah chapter number 14, Ezekiel chapter 28, he decided that he was going to go up and raise his throne up above the sun, the, the, the God of all gods, and he went up there and lost the battle, and God threw him out of heaven, and he said, okay, I'm going to let you rule the earth for a while. You are the prince, but when Jesus comes, Jesus is going to take the earth, and he is going to be the king of kings, the lord of lords, and he's going to be the one that God gives the whole earth to. So, then God created Adam and Eve, created this system. This social system that you're living in is a little over 6,000 years old, right at 6,000 years old right now. So for 6,000 years, you see the history in the Bible. Everybody with me tonight, amen? And it looks like I've lost her. <laughs> So Adam and Eve now are brought here in the garden, Eden, just like it is up in heaven. They are created. They are created as a tripartite being, a spirit that has a soul that dwells in the body. And they are given dominion over the entire earth by God. In other words, God said, you are the king of the earth. He took a crown called glory and put it on him and said, you are the king. Have dominion over all of the sea. Have dominion over the earth. Have dominion over all the animals. Have dominion over every creeping thing. Creeping thing goes a little bit deeper than the insect. We'll study that later on. But he said, have dominion over all of that. Then he said, and you are to keep the garden. The word keep means guard it from the enemy. So God told Adam right there beginning, he said, all right, I'll put you here, but there's an enemy out there that's going to try to come after you. 
And we all know the story. The serpent, I'm not going to call him Satan because the Bible don't call him Satan. The serpent in the, in the actual Hebrew, his name is Nashash. And he come in to the garden and he began to speak to him. Now he was an entity in the council of God and Eve was used to seeing him. He had walked around in the garden. That's why she wasn't scared why he began to speak to her. Because they'd been talking all along. She had seen him all the time. He was in God's council. God himself came down as the angel of Yahweh, El, and he began to walk through the garden, and he would talk with them and fellowship with them on a daily basis. And when he comes, God comes with an entourage. That's why I want a revival in this house, uh, Ben, because when God starts to come to this house, an entourage is coming to Amen. There's a bunch of angels coming. There's a bunch of movement that's coming. Things are going to happen in the spiritual world. Amen. Amen. So I'm ready for revival. How about y'all? So here we have him coming in, and now she says, Eve is talking to this Nashash that the Bible calls the serpent. And the serpent has been infiltrated, and now he is coming up and he begins to get her to question God, and you know the story, they fail. So God decides and tells them that the seed of the woman is going to be the way the earth is going to be redeemed. And God moves on Adam and Eve again, and they have marital relations, and all of a sudden, there's two sons that are born by the name of Cain and Abel. And as things went on, Abel was wound up killed by Cain because the very same spirit that came to Eve and started talking to Eve come on him, and when he come on him, he wound up killing his brother. We'll get into that. Now, that is why this church has fought for 40 years. But now, the one that was supposed to be the one that would redeem and bring Eden on the earth and keep it on the earth, he's gone. So God now has to bring another one in, and his name is Seth. And everything works good for a while. Everything works good for a while. But the devil, can, can I talk real plain tonight, amen? The devil calls all of his sons of God that has rebelled against God together, all the angels that he has got to run with him, and he begins to talk with him and said, we need to dissect, and this is just Kip putting this out here so you can understand it, we need to dissect the prophecy that God the Father told Adam and Eve, and that is that the Son of Man will bruise your head, or, or bruise your head and you'll bruise his heel. And we need to understand now, he's prophesied to Eve that the seed of that woman is going to be the thing that overcomes us and defeats us. So, so what we're going to do is we're going to come in and we're going to corrupt the seed. So the sons of God in Genesis chapter number 6 decide that they're going to come down and they looked at the women and they said the women were mighty pretty, they were mighty fair, and they could do what they needed to do. And they appeared like men and they started having relations with them. And they bore a group of people, and the Bible calls them Rephaim. The first child that was born from these sons of God entities and the relationship that they have with God is called Rephaim. The Bible shares with us they are huge giants, huge giants. Their hands bigger than Eve is. Some of them have been... Uh, they found villages with 30-foot walls and 19-foot beds and all this stuff like that around me. They're huge. But the whole purpose in this was to come in and pollute the seed 
so that Jesus could not come to the earth. Y'all following me tonight, amen? amen. The second child that was born to the Nephilim, the Rephaim that married another woman. So you have the sons of God that come down married to a woman and the Rephaim are born. Now the Rephaim marry women and the next group of people are called Nephilims. They're still giants, not quite as big as the first one, but there's still a group of people that's there. And now God realizes, hey, something's wrong. And he looks down and he sees, he said, the thought of man's heart is evil continually all along. He says, so I am going to destroy the whole earth. And the Bible says that Noah was the only person on the face of the earth that was perfect in his generations. What that meant was is that his seed had not married any of these Rephaim or any of these Nephilim. God could still use that seed. So the devil got so good at what he was doing that he was so close to stopping Jesus from coming that there were eight people left on this whole earth. Eight. That's, that's amazing, isn't it? Amen. So here comes the flood. And God calls Noah and tells Noah, just like he told Adam, he said, replenish the earth, multiply on the earth, move the earth, be my agent, be my guide to come in so that heaven will be on earth like I'll have it up in heaven. And the story goes on. Many chapters and in chapter number 11, we find out that the same thing that Satan tried before the flood, he tries it again. He comes in to pollute the seed. He corrupts the seed. And one of them that are called a Nephilim, one of them that comes in and is born is by the name of Nimrod. Nimrod is a great big giant. He is a tyrant. He is one that would go out and kill people. He would take over everything. And as Nimrod began to gather his following together, he started his own religion. And he started that religion, and he began to say, we're going to make a name for ourselves, and that's very important. We'll touch on that later on. Because the name is symbolic of Jehovah God himself. He said, we're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to build this big tower up to the sky. In other words, the very thing that Satan or uh, Lucifer tried to overthrow God out of his throne, now Nimrod does it here on this earth. The very same thing. He's trying to usurp God and throw God out of his place. And God got word of that, and he said, I can't have that happen. And he said, what I'm going to do, he said, I'm going down to look at it. And the Bible says he came down to go look at it. And as he began to go down and he looked at it, he began to see that everybody spoke the same language and everybody could understand everybody. And he said, look at these people, everybody that's in unity. He said, they know exactly what's going on. He said, and if we don't do something... There's nothing impossible for them to do because they can communicate. That's why it's so important for the church to be in unity. Can you say amen? Yeah, so God says, I'm coming down and I'm going to destroy Babel. He said, I'm going to confuse their language. That's when Psalm 82 falls in place. When God comes down, he is judging the sons of God that have been over the nations. And now he's telling them, you've allowed all this to happen, you've accepted all this wickedness, all this stuff went in, but you were the one that were over the nations. God says, I'm disinheriting you. 
Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. He told the whole earth, he said, I'm disinheriting you. Got real close. Verse number one. Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak, and I'll hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain, my speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb and the showers upon the grass. Because I will publish the name of the Lord, describe you greatness unto the Lord. He is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. They have corrupted himself. Their spot is not the spot of his children. They are a perverse and a crooked generation. Do ye thus requite the Lord? O foolish people and unwise. Is not he thy father that hath brought thee? Bought thee? Hath he made thee and established thee? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy fathers and he will show thee. Thy elders and they will tell thee. When the Most High, look at this verse. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance. When he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. In your Bible, scratch out the word Israel. That was not in the original language. It was the word Elohim, the sons of God. So here you find at this point, God is saying, all right now, I'm giving the nations that you have corrupted to y'all. Run them nations. They're yours. You fought me for it. You got this close. I'm giving you everything. He goes on to say, but I'm still going to have an Israel, a king of God. So immediately after he destroys Babel, Go to Genesis chapter number 12. Immediately after he does that, he gives all the sons of God their nations. And immediately God goes into Mesopotamia and he appears to this guy by the name of Abraham. And he calls, or Abram, he calls Abram out. He says, get out of here. Get out of this country. Leave your family. Leave your father's house. And go where I show you I want you to go. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation and I will bless thee and I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curse you and in thee shall all the family of the earth be blessed. So God called Abraham after he had disinherited every nation that there was on the earth. Y'all need to understand what I'm trying to get to God then said, every nation on this earth is mine. It's my inheritance. He said, I'm coming to get it. So God had a plan from there to get it to the point, Melvin, to where he can take the nation for his inheritance. And that plan was that he had tried with Adam, and it failed. He had tried with Noah, and it failed. And he tried there between Noah and uh, uh, I'm sorry, Seth, and it failed, and then he tried, but Noah, and it failed. And now here he is, and Babel has got everything disinherited, and now he says, I'm going to call a man, and through his family, I am going to myself leave heaven, and I'm going to come down to the earth, and I'm going to live like a man, and I'm going to die. And when I do, I am going to choose me a nation that if people will 
Bless this nation. I will use this nation to bless them. And every family in the earth will be blessed of this nation. So God immediately calls Abram and starts building the nation of Israel. Kit, why is that so important? Why have you took so much time to explain that to you? Go back to your triangle a minute. And on that third level where it says sons of God, write your name right beside sons of God. So you have God the Father, Yahweh, El, the visible God in human form, Jesus, and the sons of God, and the sons of God is met. The sons of God now, because Jesus came, is then. The Son of God now is me. The sons of God is you. The sons of God is everyone that has been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. So what tier of government and power are we on in the supernatural? If God is on tier one and Jesus is on tier two, so to speak, we're on three. We're right sitting right beside the throne of Jesus Christ. We are going to replace the sons of God that, that lost their authority that are going to die like men. And we are going to replace them. Don't you realize if Satan is the ruler of these sons of God, don't you realize that these sons of God absolutely hate you? Because you're replacing them. That's why they're trying to kill your family. That's why they're trying to mess up your your children's mind and make them think that they don't know who they are. That's why they went out and everybody, where you have preachers that stand up and they preach against drugs and alcohol and they preach against all this stuff, but you never hardly ever hear a preacher preach about the number one problem in America. A number one problem in the world. You've heard this preacher do it, but let me explain to you the number one problem in the world. Are y'all ready? Amen. Everybody look at me. It's sex. Yep. It's sex. Amen. Look at me. Here's why. Because every person you have ever laid down with, there is a spiritual transference between you and that person. It transfers from you to them and from them to you. I have counseled 13-year-old kids that were just as sweet and as nice as you would ever meet them in their life. And in one night, it seems like they are a terror. Yeah. Completely changed. And when I sit down with them and I begin to start talking with them and I get to the nitty-gritty, I find out when the change happened was the day after they have had and lost their virginity. When is the generational curse? Oh. Nope. It's not a generational curse there. No. So there is generational curse, but the number one problem in the world is sexual. Right. It's sexual. So now we've got, listen to this. If you have a girl that is 19 years old that's had 20 sexual partners, how many people does she have living inside her? 20. 21. 21. Oh, yeah, yeah. 21. So now she don't know who she is. Are you getting my point now? Amen. And see, people don't like me to preach on this. They say, oh, you don't really need to get into that. Yes, I do. We all need to get into it. We need to understand what hell is trying to do. Amen. Yes. Because when you get somebody so messed up that they can't even think straight and know who they are and know what they need to do, 
generational curses can be passed over by sexual things. You can take a girl that's never taken a drink and she can go to bed with an alcoholic and she will wind up an alcoholic because it's transferred over. Are y'all following me? Yes. So everything that's going on is transferred. There's a spiritual transfer. Sex is the number one problem that there is in America today other than the fact that people don't know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. It is destroying our church. It is destroying the nation. It is destroying the generation that's coming up behind us. Are y'all with me tonight? Amen. Amen. So what God is wanting us to do, Sheila, is He's wanting us to understand that this is the position that you occupy. You are in authority. You have dominion. You are stronger and more powerful than any son of God that I have thrown out and said they're not my family. So you have God for you, and you got God with you, and you are a son or a child of the living God, and when you make a decree in the heavenlies, when you say something, it is actually done in the heavenlies. That's why we got to quit talking so negative. Can somebody say amen? amen. Oh, my Lord, I'm broke. How many are so sick and tired of hearing people say that? I am because you ain't broke. You got the riches of God up in heaven. He said, I will meet all your needs according to my riches up in heaven. Somebody needs to say amen. amen. So we need to understand, the more we talk, the more we release in the natural realm. Because we are royalty. We are a child of the king. We are a son of the living God. We are made in the image of God. And every act and everything we do is to radiate the glory of God. And if we speak, we got power in our words. When we act and do things, we got power in our actions. Are y'all hearing me? And that's the reason why the world that we live in winds up not being like it's supposed to be up in heaven because we give the entities that are out there coming against us the power to use that against us. And they will. If you constantly preach to the the realm out there that you are broke, what's going to happen to you? Wind up broke. If you constantly say, well, nobody loves me, what's going to happen? Nobody ain't going to love you. Or if you keep thinking to yourself, I ain't never got a chance. I ain't know everybody just discriminates against me. What's going to happen? Discriminated against. So the whole reason why I took this time two nights now to go and explain to you how this is, is when God disinherited the nations and the sons of God, he created Abram and come in and said, I'm going to build me a nation. And God is the God of the nation of Israel. Now hear me. Israel is holy ground. Wherever you go in Israel, it's holy. <clears throat> Naaman, you might want to study this sometime. Naaman was the, prophet, the, the, the guy that had leprosy that come to speak to the prophet. And the prophet said, go jump into the Jordan seven times. And he said, what's he telling me to go jump into the mud of your Jordan River for? I come here to see the prophet. Well, nevertheless, he was convinced to go and dip in the, the Jericho seven times, Jordan River seven times. And he was healed, and then he went back to see the prophet, Elisha. And he looked at Elisha, and he said, Elisha, let me give you a gift. Elisha said, by whom I stand, I will not take that gift. I didn't do that to you. God done it to you. He said, come on now, let me pay you for healing me. He said, no, it won't me. It won't me that does that. I'm not going to take that gift. And Naaman said, well, will you do two things for me? He said, yeah. 
He said, will you allow me to take a shovel and dig enough of dirt out of your country and load it down on two mules and take it back to my country? Number one. Number two, would you also pray to Yahweh, your God, and ask him to understand the fact that I am the king's regent and I walk with the king into the, the God, temple of his God and I must hold the king's hand as part of my job while he bows down and worships his God. He said, the reason why I want this dirt from Israel is because I will never offer a sacrifice to another God but Yahweh. Y'all hearing me now? So he knew that if he was going to make sacrifices unto Yahweh, he had to have some holy ground to operate it on. And he asked the prophet, he said, you make sure and ask the Lord that he would overlook the fact that my position in life causes me to go into the temple of another God because my heart's not there. I don't want to be there. And Elisha says, so shall it be. So you see, we read through that, but we don't get it in our mind. We don't understand how supernatural it is. So let me explain to you real quick how it is. There is a disinherited son of God in this class that we're talking about that is over every nation that there is on the earth. God is the angel, or God is the God that is over Israel. Israel. Yahweh is the only God. He is the one and only God. All these other sons of God, the Bible calls them Elohim, and God himself is Elohim. But God says, I am the most high God. And nobody is to serve and worship any other God but Yahweh. And this that has took place from Genesis chapter number 11, really all the way from the Bible begins, but from Genesis chapter number 11 to now, it's been a cosmic war between not just the devil, but these sons of God. And the Bible talks about them. The Bible names them. We're going to go through some of the names just so you'll have this knowledge. Not tonight, but we'll do it later on. But it's important for you to know this because if you don't know your position and what is against you, you'll never know what's for you. Y'all with me tonight? Amen. Smile at that right beside you and say, Boy, I'm more powerful than I ever thought I was. How many of you can feel that tonight, by the way? You're more powerful than you ever thought you were. You've got more power in your life than you ever thought you were. And God deliberately said, I will use my best for last. Tap that right beside as I try to close my eyes and say, you're God's best. Oh, look at somebody else say, you're God's best. I'm going to agree here tonight that we are in the last days. Amen. I don't care what hell has done to you. I don't care what things has happened in your life. I don't care how sex has got a place in your life and how it came into your family and it transferred a, a generational cry. I don't care about none of that stuff. When you gave your heart to God and you said, I will all serve and always be a servant of the one and only true living God and I'll have no other gods before him, you became so powerful with the enemy that the enemy, as long as you are ignorant of the fact of how powerful you are, he will hold you back. He will throw obstacles in front of you. He'll try to make your life turn around. He'll try to make your children worry you to death. But the minute you begin to understand, I am a son of the living God and you begin to force the victory that Jesus went on, he's got to back up because he knows then darling, he's finally understanding that I ain't got no place with her. 
because I was disinherited and thrown out of the Israel holy ground. Y'all with me now? That's why, how many's ever asked this question? Or been asked this question? I've been asked this question. If that God that you serve is such a loving God, then why is it that he told Joshua to go into the promised land and kill every man, woman, boy, girl, animal, everything? Why? And see, we as Christians, as a vast part, cannot answer that. Let me give you the answer. Are y'all ready? Because the sons of God, when they began to have sex with the women, created a race that God did not create. And God cannot, in any way, shape, or form, bless a race that he cannot, or he didn't create. That's number one. Number two. They had violated the judgment that God had given them that they were not to be in Israel. That they had a nation that they were to run and rule in. If they want to rule in Iran, they want to run in India, they want to rule in Russia, get over there and do your deal. But you are not coming into my territory, which is the nation of Israel. But what happened? The Bible says the Canaanite was in the land, the, the Zamzumians was in the land, the Ebims was in the land, all of these guys was in the land, the Philistines was in the land. They had stepped over into God's promised land. And God said, I got to clean up the promised land. I got to take them out of the promised land. So when you have the holy ground, a holy nation of Israel, nothing unclean can be on holy ground. Are y'all with me now? Amen. So God said, I got to wipe it out. I can't bless this race because I didn't create it. Number two, if you touch anything, you transfer a spirit. If I walk up to you right now and I touch you tonight, just like I touched Tina right there, I just transfer a spirit to her. People don't realize that, but I just did. If I'm in a bad mood, after a while, Tina might wind up being in a bad mood. Because I just touched her. If I'm in a good mood, I can take a bad mood and I can turn it completely around. Y'all go with it. See, that's how powerful you are. You don't realize it, but that's how powerful you are. Let me explain. You start getting ready to come to church. You come to church. You on cloud nine, and all of a sudden, Darlene walks in. She's had a bad day. She's all upset. And everything. She plops down right on your pew. What happens? Your whole mindset changes. You feel like something comes all over you. I'm trying to explain to you. It's so important. We are so powerful, and we don't realize how powerful we actually are. We are the Son of God, third in line now. To the throne of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, and then us. So we're on the third tier. And we got power. And the Bible says that in the end day, you are going to be the ones that judge the nations. You're going to take the job that these sons of God was given. That's why they hate you, and that's why Satan hates you. That's why he's trying to keep you from church on Wednesday night by making your family sick or whatever it may be. He's doing everything he can to keep you from hearing this. Thank God for technology that we can still put that out and people that wasn't able to be here tonight can hear that, hey, look at here. you got a position that's over what hell is in your life. And if you'll start walking in it, the devil ain't going to be able to stay in your promised land because God gave it to you. So when God birthed you in Bladenburg, North Carolina, this town, North Carolina, wherever it was that you was birthed at, God gave you that territory. Everybody holler out with me and say, that's my territory. And God wants you to rule and have dominion over that territory. 
And we are not going to be able to do it until we get this mindset that we have more for us than we have against us. Now, notice this. I want to, I've got to get some people revelation. There were 70 sons of God, according to Scripture, that rebelled against God. 70. 70. Everybody say 70. In this church on third Sunday, at times we have 70 to 80 people come eat every night again. Everyone wants the blue. If everybody in this church shows up, we got about 100. But we got a flowing 